0: What's up, guys? This episode of GoRails, we're going to talk about the performance of GoRails.com. So this is a question that came up on the forums recently about, you know, what are the tactics that I use to make GoRails.com fast? And by any measure, um, I don't think GoRails is very fast. It's definitely faster than your average like site, but um, that's it's definitely not in the 150 milliseconds or less, like to glass uh, measurement, which is kind of the measurement used for saying like, if you're 150 milliseconds or less, um, generally that's going to appear to human being as instantaneous. So Go Rails isn't quite that fast, but it's pretty fast. Um, and so we're gonna talk about all the different things that come into play to make Go Rails as fast as it is. Um, lots of improvements to make, but we're gonna talk about the ones that I've done so far. So first things first, uh, let's talk about the server. Now I use a $20 a month DigitalOcean server with like two or four gigs of RAM. I can't remember exactly. Um, And that basically is going to be the foundation for the speed of the server side work. So there's two different things. There's one thing, which is server side work. And number two is the front end work. So the amount of work that has to be done in the browser also very, very, very much impacts the performance of your website, definitely the perceived performance. So there's the first request and that takes some time and you just see a loading thing in your browser. But the rest of that, the painting, the parsing of the CSS, parsing of the JavaScript, downloading of images, there's so much work that goes into the performance of the front end that also needs to be taken care of as well. So server-side stuff is one thing, but we'll also talk about front-end stuff um, immediately after that. So from the very foundation, I have a DigitalOcean server. Um, it does not It's not very big, but it does support well over 200,000 page views a month. Um, and GoRails gets a lot, a lot of traffic. And so it's, it's doing a very good job of supporting all that. To do that, I'm using Nginx as the web server, and I'm also using Passenger to serve up the Rails application. Now, I've configured that so that I use the correct amount of workers for the RAM and CPU threads that my server has, so we get the best performance based on the server that I'm actually running on. So, all of this exact same stuff applies if you're running on Heroku, or uh, DigitalOcean, or AWS, or Rackspace, or any hosting provider. You just need to figure out what's your server running, how many CPUs does it have, how much RAM, and then configure Puma, Nginx, Passenger, all those things, configure it based upon that information um, and then optimize that accordingly. So take as best of advantage as you can of the hardware that you're provided. So going into the Rails application layer, The thing that I do the most is I make sure that every single page generates as few of queries as possible. Now you might think that's easier. Well, it's definitely easier said than done. But you might think that's pretty easy, right? So the dashboard like this, you might think that that's pretty simple. Um, But when you're actually building real applications, it can be pretty hard. So for example, the left side of this. Uh, this page includes all of the uh, recent screencasts. So it displays like five or six recent screencasts. We display five or six uh, questions from the forum, and then we display the users along with those. That's actually three database queries at a minimum already. So we have to get all of those episodes. We have to get the forum questions to get the users for that. But because you're logged in, we have to check to see if, you're, um, if your, your record is in the database, The guides are actually a dynamic thing that I built so that I can edit those, kind of like a CMS, like a WordPress type thing, so I can easily edit my guides. Those are dynamic, so that's five. Then with the uh, notifications, we have to load those, so that's six, and then we have to get the user who uh, generated generated the notification. So that's seven database queries already just for this one single page. It's quite a lot. And it balloons very, very quickly once your pages become more complicated. So step number one is to simplify the amount of queries that you do. Keep your pages as simple as you can. That will help improve the performance from the database level. Now, that is even tricky on its own because database queries will show up with active records saying, well, this ran and it only took three milliseconds. Well, it's not quite the case because Active Record actually has to take those results, put them in memory, then it has to convert all of that stuff into um, Active Record objects, then you have to go and convert it to HTML, and so on. That's a lot more work than the um, performance numbers of three milliseconds of query time uh, show in your logs. So you have to be careful with that, and that means that doing fragment caching comes into play significantly for performance when you're generating HTML server side. So when you're fragment caching, you want to make sure each of one of these records like this is cached into Rails cache, but you also want to make sure that the Rails cache is configured to save either into like Redis or Memcached. And the reason for that is because with those, you are saving the cache in memory, so it's very quick to access. If you use the default file cache, you actually have to write to your hard drive or SSD. Now SSDs are a lot quicker, but they're still not anywhere near as fast as writing to and from memory. Um, So if you configure your Rails cache to point to one of those two uh, external services, you're gonna get a speed improvement from that, which is what I do. Now to take your fragment caching to another level, you can do Russian doll caching, which is a recent feature of Rails that Basecamp talks a lot about. Um, And it's really the concept of, you know, for the recent questions on the dashboard here, this is a section of the five most recent questions. We can cache each one of those um, in a fragment cache, but we can also encompass all of those into one fragment cache, uh, and then bust the larger cache when there's a new question or one of the old ones gets updated. This is really nifty because it allows you to say, well, we're only gonna access the cache once for this entire chunk, instead of accessing the cache five times or more for every one of those questions. So that saves a number of network calls between you and Redis or you and memcached um, from five to one. So that's pretty fantastic as well. So that is another layer of reducing the number of queries that you're doing in order to get better performance with caching even. So next after fragment caching, let's talk about assets. Now assets, Um, are an important piece, but we're moving from server-side optimizations to front-end optimizations now. Um, Some of this needs to be configured server-side in order to make this work, but um, anytime you're serving up files from your Rails application or your own server, you actually need Nginx or whatever whatever web server, Apache, whatever you're using um, that comes before Rails, you need that stuff to be able to serve up the files. So for example, if I uploaded all of these thumbnails for the videos on the left side, or all the user avatars from my own DigitalOcean server, that would be slow. If all those images came from GoRails.com, that would actually cause a bottleneck in the browser when the page begins to load, because once the HTML is loaded, the image sources are looked at, and if they're on different domains, it will start issuing requests where it does up to like four requests per domain. So the more domains you actually serve your images from, the better because your browser can go do more stuff in parallel. Um, The other benefit is if you use a CDN, you can actually distribute those images around the world. So you can download files from a server that's closer to you physically in the world, saving a few milliseconds on page load. Now, I actually handle the images by the thumbnails for the videos being hosted on Wistia, and I use the avatars being hosted by Gravatar. So I personally don't have to do any file uploading, no file management, none of that stuff, Um, and I get to keep my site as simple as possible by just using images from other services. That saves me a lot of time and development effort and maintenance if I ever need to change the size of the thumbnails or any of that stuff. So this is really handy for me um, and definitely recommend you configuring your own file, ser- or file server like Amazon S3 or their CDN um, if you need to upload files yourself. So now that we're squarely into the front-end performance, um, the real key to all of Go Rails performance, at least its perceived performance on the front-end, um, is Turbolinks. Now, uh, front-end frameworks are a really, really hot topic right now. Everybody wants to learn React because it's cool, and they want to learn Angular and Ember, but I actually think the secret weapon is Turbolinks, and the reason for that is because Turbolinks is so small, it's like just a couple files and only 100 lines or whatever, like 200 lines of code, and it's not large by any means, and it doesn't try to do much, which is the main benefit of Turbolinks over anything else. So the reason why you want to use a front-end library to increase the performance of your site is to make page loads much, much faster. Now, you used to have to do this with a bunch of Ajax requests, and that was really hard to do with jQuery and then building all these custom responses server-side, and you had to do a lot of duplicate work uh, just to wire everything up, and it wasn't really great, and it just wasn't fun to build. So the front-end framework started to come out, and you see Ember and Angular, um, and, and these are, are coming from a place where they're like, well, you have dedicated engineers just for the front-end, so you're gonna go build that stuff. You're gonna give us JSON APIs, and you're gonna do all this work. On top of like the server side still needs to be able to render HTML for that initial page view, especially because Google um, and the other web crawlers still aren't very good at indexing JavaScript stuff. So you still generally want to make sure you return HTML views. And that ends up being a problem because you have to do like twice the amount of work when you use a front-end framework. React comes from a little bit different um, uh, of a direction, but it's still being designed to kind of to fit in the same places that Ember and Angular are. And TurboLinks really just takes a whole different approach and goes for simplicity above everything else. Now the reason I like the TurboLink stuff so much is because I can go build the site one time um, and always return HTML responses and then Turbolinks gives me more or less uh, free speed improvements on the front end. It feels very snappy. Everything is being loaded over Ajax because it intercepts all of the links that are clicked and then I have to only make minor modifications to my JavaScript. In the case of jQuery code, you don't have to do any modifications uh, aside from making sure that you use the jQuery TurboLinks library in order to make those compatible. But there are some things like Google Analytics that you need to make sure run every page view, so you have to do some modifications to that code. But for everything else, um, TurboLinks actually is just a very small, easy to maintain, easy to use. Um, library to give you performance on the front-end. Now the reason all of these front-end frameworks are important is because what they do is save you the time of downloading parsing and rendering your CSS and JavaScript every single page view. Because all of that happens the very first time um, you were saved from doing that work every single next page view. So that's, that's the real benefit. So if we clicked on community here you will see that the fonts didn't go back to the default browser fonts. They actually just automatically rendered with the correct fonts. You didn't see like the page clear out and then get repainted. It actually is just boom, new page is done. And the reason for that is because Turbolinks, same with Angular, Ember or React, they basically take all the stuff that's already loaded in your browser and they don't throw it away. They actually take advantage of it And so that makes the browsers appear to be significantly faster. Um, And it genuinely is significantly faster, but it's all client-side time and effort that it saves. Nothing server-side. So the faster you build server-side stuff, the faster you can give a response, but you still need to make sure that your JavaScript is as lightweight as possible in order to make that fast. So these large frameworks like Ember and Angular, they end up causing you to have several megabytes of code at some times. And that's going to be slow because your browser runs on different devices. You run your app on your your Angular app or your Ember app on a phone or a tablet or a desktop or a laptop. You're going to get different performance on all of those. And that's kind of uh, frustrating because you, you don't actually have any control of where your JavaScript is executed in the browser performance-wise. All you have is, well, Hopefully this gets executed quickly. So the reason Turbolinks I think is important is because it's so lightweight. It really offloads as much of the work as possible server side and the browser has to do as little work client side in order to make fast updates. Now the real key between deciding if you should use Turbolinks or React or Angular or Ember is really just like how big is your team. Um, Most of the time if you're building something with React or Angular or Ember, um, you're going to need to spend a whole lot of time in the front-end. Whereas with um, with TurboLinks, you really just need to do the stuff you've always done with jQuery, stuff you're already familiar with, and you can use a very, very small team to maintain the speed of your application client-side. And that's what I really enjoy about this. If you don't have any very complicated front-end interactions, like you're not building um, Slack, and if you're building all those different, like, front ends for the channels and the messages and the sidebars that are dynamic, if you're doing that level of interactivity, then you're going to want to use one of those more complex things, but you're also going to need to do the majority of your work on the client side. Whereas a site like GoRails is perfect because there's not really that many interactive JavaScript widgets. Um, Really about the most complicated thing is a credit card form, and that's easily handled by jQuery um, and regular old JavaScript. So, Turbolinks is probably, in my opinion, the best solution for the majority of applications out there. You can even pair it really, really nicely with React, so if you do have a complicated widget, you can actually just use Turbolinks for the majority of the speed improvements where you get those mostly free, and then you can tack on React on top of it and accomplish all of those same goals where you don't have to worry about building your router on the front end and the server side and sort of duplicating work. But that's totally personal opinion on front end frameworks. So that is what I use. Uh, Feel free to use whatever you like. They're all awesome. I think the world is just kind of exploring lots of different ideas right now. And I don't necessarily think a lot of these are good ones because they get away from the, the reason why we liked Rails in the very first place, which was that it lets one person go build an entire startup, or an entire business on their own with not that much time investment, which is awesome. So I think we will probably see more, uh, more Turbolink stuff in the future, just because it's designed for those small teams and the uh, speed of development. So, I think it's important um, just to touch on that because it is a huge factor in why GoRails is actually fast to browse. And it's, it's almost entirely up to Turbolink's client side to make that happen quickly. Um, so yeah, I do my speed improvements server side, but those will shave off, you know, 50 milliseconds on a good day. And then the client side really is improved by Turbolinks pretty much on its own. Um, along with CDNs for the images. So that is the majority of things that really make go Rails fast. It comes down to optimizing your server, minimizing your queries, doing proper caching, minimizing the amount of caching queries that you make. It, uh, assets go on CDNs or separate domains, like uh, your S3 bucket, and then Turbolinks as the JavaScript library. So that is it, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions, want me to dive into any of those pieces deeper, leave those in the comments below and we will tackle those in the next one. Peace.